Bibi Fahodie, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. So, Bibi Fahodie, this is the African Liberation Media. I have with me once again Brother Amos and Brothers Macaru. I want to start with something I saw in an article today put together by our good brothers over at Black Agenda Radio. One of the brothers by the name of Calandra, who works for Barr, writes, The atrocities committed by white male shooters a part and parcel of U.S. behavior, both domestically and around the world. Gun control entails giving the state a monopoly on weapons, whose soldiers, of course, are the police, suffice to say they are armed, racist, and militarized. Mass murder, mass shootings, is fundamental to the United States, birthed by the white supremacist conquest of the indigenous people, a parasitic settler nation having built itself on the backs of Africans, Asians, and Latin labor. Suffice it to say, white supremacy is a sick death cult. Shootings by white supremacists are not an aberration, this brother writes as gun coal advocates make them out to be. <laughs> Clearly, this history is undeniable. Looking at Brother Kwame Ture last night, of course, he would agree with the writer from Barr. He insists that during his leadership role with the Black Panther Party, that Brothers on the East Coast of the Black Panther Party in particular as an organization had more guns than all the gangs on the East Coast have today. The difference is they were highly politicized and they had a specific agenda that was to protect the community. We lacked those organizations in 2019 to inculcate these brothers with an ideology that is consistent with what Kwame Ture describes. We also dealing with a situation where the prize winning writer Chris Hedges talks about the disintegration of society. He writes, the concept of anime deals with a self-destructive pathology. And in the wake of this feeling of being having dispossessed of being dispossessed and locked out you have the proliferation of hate groups mass shootings etc 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 mixed feelings suffice it to say needless to say given the fact that this is a two-tiered justice system where white supremacy abounds in other words we do not have the same access to defend ourselves, the same access to rights to bear arms and to protect ourselves in a white supremacist-dominated system. Gentlemen, take it away. My opening statements. Bibi Fahodier, Gullah Jack, thank you for that. I'm, I'm reminded of something that I always say when I hear about these mass shootings and the just the extraordinary amount of crime that takes place in this so-called civilized society. Of course, there are people who say that America has never known civilization. It went straight from uh, decadence to barbarism or from barbarism to decadence. I can't remember exactly how the quote goes, but one of the things I always say is that what, what America teaches its uh, people, its citizens, is that violence is a viable solution to your problems. America responds to its problems. It solves its problems by engaging in acts of violence. So when you see these, you know, barbarians going off and, and people with all kinds of issues 
shooting people down in cold blood. I mean, they're they just doing what America has done since its founding. After all, the country was founded by criminals, constructed on the foundation of theft and genocide, so no surprise that it continues. One of the things that I wanted to uh, talk about, I wrote a response to the critics of the movie Harriet. This movie generated an extraordinary amount of, of criticism for, for a number of reasons. A lot of it was started by this uh, group called, um, who call themselves American Descendants of Slavery, a very self-denigrating term in my opinion, and they were initially upset because of the uh, the producers, uh, actually the person who did it was a, a black woman named Deborah Martin Chase, chose this sister from Nigeria, Cynthia Arivo, to play the part of Harriet Tubman. Uh, I don't know who they wanted playing it, maybe Angelina Jolie or somebody, but yeah. anyway, um, just a, they, they generated a lot of criticism, called for boycotts. It was similar to the attack that Nate Parker's uh, movie on Nat Turner came under, and you, you, you really have to question um, what is motivating these people to, to do these kinds of things. And So just very briefly, this, is, this was the response I wrote. Harriet is a movie, not a documentary. Of course, it takes some creative liberties, and it has filler material for drama. Based on my reading of her, of her history, I did not see anything that disrespects her legacy. I would like to have seen more action, particularly her Civil War activities beyond the brief Cumberhee River raid scene. Otherwise, the movie told the basic aspects of our esteemed ancestor's life. As a young girl, our esteemed ancestor was hit in the head by her enslaver while trying to protect a man who had tried to escape. This would call periods of unconsciousness throughout her life, throughout her life as was accurately depicted in the movie. Harriet did escape alone. She met William Steele, the brother who was the founder of the Underground Railroad in Philadelphia. She returned to the Maryland Eastern Shore several times to liberate enslaved Africans. Her husband did, in fact, take another wife. She traveled from Canada to get her parents. Uh, they, they, the, 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 but when the uh, Fugitive Slave Act of 18, uh, was passed in 1850, it was a more uh, draconian slave act than the previous two, uh, a lot of her followers and, and uh, uh, co com comrades decided that uh, she should move to Canada because as a, as, an, as a liberated person, person who would liberate themselves from chattel slavery, she could, she could be captured under this act. So she moved to Canada. When she got to Canada, she said, I, I got to travel you know, a longer distance, but I'm still going back. And she made a trip back to, uh, to get her parents. So, you know, all of this was shown in the movie. Uh, she operated in abolitionist circles with people like Frederick Douglass. She was the major planner and leader of the Civil War Cahumbahee River Raid. With 100 and black, 150 black soldiers, they liberated an estimated 800 enslaved Africans during that raid. Routed the Confederates. These were black people gunning down people who had enslaved our people. They didn't show that part in the movie, but I mean, that's what happened. So showing the scene there was, you know, accurate. Critics of Harriet are reduced to two or three talking points because they cannot dispute the historical facts in the movie. The Negro bounty hunter is one of the major talking points of the critics. Every bounty hunter attempting to catch our esteemed ancestor Harriet Tubman, particularly after the passage of the 1850 Fugitive Slave Act, has never been documented. Is it possible that there were Negro bounty hunters? Absolutely. We do know that there were race traders who betrayed Gabriel Prosser. One was named Tom, another was named Pharaoh, and Denmark Vesey, one named Peter Prelude, and the other named George Wilson. Whereas Quimbo and Sambo from Harriet Breacher, Stowe, Harriet Breacher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin are fictional characters, we have documented proof, their own words, of actual Negro overseers and slave drivers. We know that there were Negroes like William Ellison and his sons who held Africans in chattel slavery. Race traders are an unfortunate part of our history. So these people are going off because the movie showed this black bounty hunter uh, who had a, you know, a hypersexualized name, Bigger Long, 
who was supposedly tracking Harriet, and uh, but it's not beyond the realm of possibility, of course, because we had race traders all during that period of time. On the scales of most critics, all of the positive actions by our esteemed ancestor Harriet Tubman are outweighed by one conniving enslaver who failed to capture her. A lot of people are calling this um, conniving enslaver who supposedly had some kind of um, desires for Harriet. They're saying that he was a white savior because he wanted her captured alive. And he shot the Negro bounty hunter. So they so that made him a savior in, in the minds of the small minds of, uh, of these critics. And all of the positive men in the movie, uh, positive black men in the movie are outweighed by one race traitor. This is an example of the pitfalls of Eurocentric fragmented thinking versus African-centered holistic thinking. And I think it's a reflection of self-hatred to continuously focus on a perceived negative when there are so many positive talking points that could be discussed. The major positive talking point about Harriet Tubman, in my opinion, is her life is an assault on the Eurocentric concept of individualism and individualized liberty, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Because what, what she exhibits is the African concept of I am because we are. Mm -hmm. Just like Denmark Vesey, who won the lottery and bought his own freedom, his freedom and Harriet Tubman's individual freedom didn't mean anything to them as long as their people were still enslaved. So they took various approaches to try to solve it. Vesey organized a massive rebellion, which would, would possibly have toppled slavery much earlier had it succeeded with uh, his comrades uh, Rolla Bennett, Gullah Jack Pritchett, and others. They were betrayed, of course, by two Negro uh, traitors. And Harriet Tubman did her work individually, saving, you know, five, ten, or how many ever she could get, you know, back from uh, out of uh, chattel slavery into the conditions of the North. I had a conversation with one brother who said Harriet Tubman didn't free anybody because when they got where they, they were going, they weren't, quote, unquote, free. But they were released from chattel slavery. I mean, struggle Struggle operates on a protracted level. It, 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 there are different steps to it. Imhotep had to build the step pyramid before Khufu could build the great pyramid. You just don't go from ground zero to the stratosphere without taking some steps in between. And so, you know, those were a lot of the positive things that I saw in the movie that um, these, uh, you know, myopic uh, critics uh simply not viewing, and it's largely because they have an agenda themselves that, they, that they're trying to push, and they chose to attack this movie uh, based on that. Clearly, freedom is a constant process. Harriet Tubman tried to undermine the unfettered capitalist system, but yet some people are enthralled over the idea, brother, that uh, there's talk of placing her on the dollar bill. A symbol of capitalism. Exactly. And you, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think VC could have easily have uh, established his private compartment in hell, given the fact that he won the lottery. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that's how that's how he bought his freedom. You know, he won the lottery. I think he won fifteen hundred dollars, which at one point I had I had done the calculation to see how much that would be in today's terms. I maybe I can't remember how much it would be, but at any rate, uh, his. Uh, the person who was enslaving him charged him $750. So he still had $750 left. And uh, he was a skilled laborer. He was a carpenter and he had, he had numerous skills. So he could have very easily just gone on to live his life in Charleston. But that, but that wasn't enough, you know, for him. Uh, Harriet Tubman, like you say, she stole the property of the capitalists. So that made her that made her a liberator in every sense of the word, because you 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 she stole the most valuable thing that they had. You know, taking people that could no longer be beaten on a daily basis, could no longer be sold, you know, from the uh, tobacco plantations of the uh, of the mid-Atlantic, Virginia and the Carolinas into the harsh sugar plantations of Louisiana. 
So, I mean, all, all of this, all of this is positive. But the main thing is the fact that she didn't consider her individual freedom to be worth anything as long as her people were enslaved. And, you know, these people are just totally ignore those uh, concepts. But I think I think they're blinded by prejudice because they have a pro-American agenda. Mm. That's what I think. I can't even speak to the to to it from educational level because I haven't seen it yet. So I'm gonna have to go watch the movie um, to see what everybody is, what the fuss is all about. But to go back to your point on uh, Brother Denmark Vesey, um, I read that Denmark Vesey had ten thousand men ready to bring on what was considered by whites after they discovered the plan to be probably the most devastating um, liberation war anywhere on the face of the earth. It, that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. 10,000. Absolutely. Well, what, what, what he did was this. Um, he, he operated in a, a, a different circle than a lot of the uh, Africans who were working in the rice plantations outside of Charleston. So he realized that he would only be able to reach like-minded people, you know, in the, in the quote-unquote uh, metropolitan area of Charleston at the time. So he found this brother named Gullah Jack Pritchett, who was considered to be a priest. He... When uh, the Africans were supposedly going out in the woods to uh, learn about slaves obey your masters, he was teaching them African spirituality and the fact that we are human beings who deserve to be free. So, so, so Vizi was working one sector of the community and Gullah Jack Pritchett was working the other sector who were the, as, as Malcolm would say, are the masses. And uh, this brother had a strong following because as a uh, historian, he was such, he was a powerful speaker and he was a power, he was a powerfully built human being, uh, supposedly directly from Angola. Wow. Right. Where they had been fighting the Portuguese constantly since the time of Queen in Zynga. Wow. And, and so the same, the same with the uh, Africans in the Stono Rebellion, mm -hmm. 1739. They were led by a brother named Kojo, who was also supposedly from Angola, directly, had been fighting. So, you know, th these, these are the type of people we've discussed before. They knew what freedom was. Uh -huh. They were determined to be free. So you you write you write uh, they these people were literally urinating in their pants when they found when they discovered the extent mm. of of Vizi's plans how how he had been he'd been so meticulous in organizing but one go ahead brother go ahead didn't they say that he was gonna he was gonna kill um, the whites in South Carolina. And then he was going to join forces with the Seminoles. Well, he had two plans. One was uh, if they, if he, if he could make it to Florida, if he could make it to Florida, you know, the the plan, the plan was to go there and join the uh, Seminoles who had, you know, had been engaged in war, you know, with the United States, uh, you know, from actually about the beginning of about uh, the 19th century, you know, up through the period of time when Vesey was living. The other plan was uh, because he knew a lot of ship captains. Visa had done a lot of traveling, mm -hmm. you know, throughout the uh, Caribbean. He knew a lot of ship captains. So they had plans to capture some ships and take as many people as they could to Haiti. Yeah, I heard that too. Yeah. yeah. Talk, about, talk about that. Well, I mean, that, well, first, here, here we go once again with the powerful impact that the Haitian Revolution had on the concept of liberation amongst Africans, you know, in the United States. Mm -hmm. So 
So people like people like VZ and, and, and many others who engaged in rebellions were inspired, you know, by what happened on the island, you know, with uh, Cecile Fatimon, Bookman Duty, Loverture, uh, Christo, VZ, etc. And so uh, VZ had actually traveled. He had been to Haiti, uh, actually had, uh, I think that's where he was originally when he was taken from Africa. That was his first mm-hmm. uh, landing point, was on the island of Haiti. And, and see, and, 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 the, and, and the whole idea of rebellion on the island of Haiti just didn't start with Bookman and those. You know, as we, mm-hmm. we interviewed the, the uh, beautiful scholar uh, Azili Danto on this program. They were rebelling from day one. But Mackendall had organized probably the biggest rebellion prior to the rebellion that Bookman Duty and Cecile Fatimone organized. Mm-hmm. And so Vizi was aware of all of this. See, because our people then had a very, very rich oral tradition that, that was valuable because one thing, you can, like the, the oral tradition has a lot of critics, but one thing about the oral tradition is that they ain't no, there's no document that, oh, y'all wrote this? No, it's here, mm-hmm. okay? So we're passing it down from one generation to the next. And so Vizi knew all of this history. He knew, he knew all of this history, and he was just biding his time. The other thing about this is uh, when we think about, you know, Nat Turner being a young man, Harriet Tubman being a young, Vizi was like in his 50s mm. when, he started, when he started organizing you know, this rebellion. And of course it started, I mean, what, what the base, the base was that, you know, when they, when they broke away from the white church and formed, you know, Mother Emmanuel, African Methodist Episcopal Church, where, you know, Dylan Roof carried out his massacre, that church obviously had, was, a, was specifically targeted, I think, because of the history of Denmark Vesey. You know, this this was was just no little dumb little, you know, redneck wood that was that, that that just walked into a place. He knew what he was doing. He knew the significance of it. So that gave that gave you know, Vizi was a Sunday school teacher, so he could teach lessons, right? So just like Kwame Ture always told us, use everything you everything they give you, use it for your advantage. Whatever. So Visa used the Bible for his advantage. Gullah Jack Pritchett was out preaching African spirituality. <laughs> I preaching it. So 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 you had that combination. So you're right almost. I mean, this was I'm telling you, if this if if not for these two Negroes mm. and it just happened that one brother just happened to mention it to this one guy, mm-hmm. George Wilson. George Wilson was a member of of Mother Emanuel Church. Wow. He attended the same church with Denmark Vesey. And he got scared, ran to his masters, and, and, and spilled the beans. And the white power structure rewarded him by giving him a lifetime pension, I think, of $20 a year or something like that. He oh. said his name was George Wilson. George Wilson. Now, see, George Wilson probably altered the history of this country tremendously. No doubt about it. Because I believe Denmark Vesey would have been successful in doing the same thing that Dessaline and the Haitians did in Haiti, doing it here. Exactly. You talk about him going down to Florida and traveling to Haiti and uniting with the Haitians. He probably could have traveled to every Caribbean country and they could have massacred whites all over the Caribbean. You never know. They might have even made it down to South America. Yeah, and look and, and, and look at this. And look at this. Not not on, not only that in the Caribbean, but 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 look at what first of all, look at what this would the 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 wildfire that it would have set mm-hmm. across, you know, the, the slaveocracy. Look that plus the fact that you get all you get all of these uh, fighters. You get all of these warriors in Florida, and they join. You know, with with the the Africans and the and the Seminoles who had been fighting the fought the United States in three wars. Mm-hmm. 
in three one one of the the second war it took them six years to defeat the Seminoles. Mm. It took the United States Army. And military terrain at this time was totally different than it is now. Oh, absolutely. It was a much absolutely. more level playing field. Much more the level playing field. The technology is not as advanced as it is now. Exactly. That governments have over average people. Exactly. So, I mean, you're talking about a time where if, if they were successful, not only does this change our condition, but it changes the overall wealth gap that Europeans have not just over Africans, but over people all over the world. Yeah, you look, you look at, you look at it. If if you really think about it, they're able to sustain this. It, the wildfire spreads throughout the Caribbean, across other areas of the South. Spain may never give up Florida. They could say we we just gonna give Florida to the black people in the Seminoles, mm-hmm. and support them in whatever way. Florida may even never become a state. And then, and then, and then, what happens in you know in Georgia and South Carolina? I mean, you know, Alabama, the connecting uh, areas. Uh, so this this was this this was clearly, uh, I think, one of the most important events. I mean, when when we, when we're talking about lost opportunities, when when you are really close to, mm. to something that could ignite a really a war for liberation, that was the event. That was the event, and you got two Negroes, mm. two Negroes, Peter Prelude, who has about four or five different names. I mean, Peter Park. I mean, this guy got so many different names. I mean, I can't even name all of them, but uh, Peter Devaney or whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of names he has, but uh, he was, in fact, one of the people that that ran and and told it. But, uh, yeah, it was – that that was the opportunity. And I, I, I think you um, have a an African-based word for the spirit of the age, the car. Is that right? Yes. You know, of course, you know, it's incumbent upon the European, the white supremacists to uh, shut down this, what they have described historically as this contagion, you know, to keep this wildfire from spreading. Uh, I'm sitting over here connecting a couple of dots, the state of Georgia being instituted as a state to prevent this um, migration of South Carolinians to Florida. Mm-hmm. You know, they filled Georgia with vagabonds. Yeah. That was one of the rationales that they used. It was a buffer state. It was a buffer right. state. It was exactly. a buffer state to exactly. prevent this from happening, man. Mm-hmm. And It was also a penal colony, you know. Wow, I never even thought about it like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I mean, they, they took the worst criminals they had in Europe. And and threw them into Georgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was definitely uh, strategic, a geopolitical yeah. move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, what's the general name? His name Jessup. is Jessup. Jessup. Yeah. yeah, General Jessup. General Jessup said when 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 uh, after you know Andrew Jackson won the first war, they destroyed the Negro fort there, which the Brit the British had built the Negro fort during the War of eighteen twelve, and and they abandoned the fort. And then the escaped Africans had moved into it, and uh, Andrew Jackson's forces destroyed it. That's close to to your hometown, and um, but but the uh, so when when they started the the next war, they said, and, and, and based on like Amos's point is, being in a fort is a European concept, right? It's just like being in a house. Okay. See one one see one of the, one of the lessons we learned from the Panthers was that that when we felt that we would be attacked, but our position was that we're not going to defend the house. We we got to have plans to get out the house and then use all the terrain around us to fight back, right? And so the fort is 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 a European concept. It's not it's not a valid guerrilla warfare uh-huh. concept. Fidel and Shea never had a fort, mm-hmm. right? Constantly moving, using the terrain, okay? And so and so that's why they were more successful. And so when they were fighting the Second Seminole War, Jessup said he reported back to his um, 
commanders in D.C. or wherever. He said, make no mistake about it. This is a Negro, not an Indian war. They, they, were, they, 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 they were in battle with so many black men and women that the general in charge of it said, man, look. <laughs> these." And so now you think about this. This is in like uh, 1835. So you think about Vesey being successful in 1822. Mm. How much more fortified they would have been with real with people who've been in combat, okay? Black men have been in combat, right? He take his 10,000 troops down there. Man, look, I'm telling you. <laughs> well, you're talking about sovereignty. Well, I mean, and, yeah. and, and, and on top, to top it all off, I, I feel like we don't give Denmark VC enough credit. A lot of people know him, but it takes a certain type of individual to turn away from a comfortable lifestyle mm-hmm. or what could be a comfortable lifestyle and be willing to not just not just go for freedom, but to go for liberation. It's a difference. Exactly. We have to really know how to define that and also, you know, give those ancestors that credit and take that spirit that those ancestors had and instill, instill that spirit into the youth that's coming up. Exactly. Denmark Vesey and all of his uh, lieutenants and uh, co-generals, you know, Rolla Bennett, Gullah Jack, these guys were revolutionaries. They were revolutionaries in every sense of the word. And they serve as a model to emulate. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I uh, <laughs> actually uh, am kind of hesitant to uh, espouse some of the information. Uh, but it is a fact that uh, this revolutionary spirit did persist with the Panthers in particular on the East Coast. You know, there's documentation of uh, the Black Liberation Army placing grenades on the police cars, um, you know, what they did to racist cops on the corner. You can simply just use your imagination. But this guerrilla tactic, using the totality of the terrain, was definitely uh, a part of their uh, strategy, you know, vis-a-vis the uh, West Coast. Panther organization, which gets the bulk of the credit, you know, having been co-opted, attempting at some point, maybe post-1971, to merge themselves inside the Democratic Party. You know, little, if any, attention is given to what happened on the uh, on, on the East Coast with uh, Asada Shakur, who uh, Mary J. Edgar Hoover referred to as the soul of the Black Panther Party. You know, if we didn't know it, well, then the FBI did. And brothers, of course, you know, risked their life and broke her out of jail. And she's been living in uh, Cuba. Uh, various presidents have uh, consistently upped the bounty, hoping for their the extradition of this warrior queen. Hmm. No, I mean, you're exactly right. And what you just said about the FBI knowing that she was the soul of the movement I'm not a religious man, but I know the power of what religion can do when used the right way. And that's what Nat Turner knew. That's what Denmark Vesey and Gullah Jack knew. And I think that they understand that black people, we operate in a, a which if you want to call it spirit or energy or whatever. Mm-hmm. They know that it's something that's inside of us that we operate and we vibe on. Exactly. That rhythm. Mm-hmm. And they understand that if that spirit starts to be ignited in a lot of people, it's a problem for them. Mm-hmm. So that's why they try to suppress it as much as they can. They try to take the spirit out of a lot of things. It's just like uh, even in you know our own uh meetings or lectures or uh events a lot of times you'll find that that revolutionary spirit is 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 sort of sucked out of the room 
And it's because you have people that they just don't feel comfortable with, you know, doing anything that would jeopardize their safety or jeopardize their life. And that's fine for for you. But don't suppress the spirit of the warrior or, 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 or the spirit of the revolutionary. Because in, in, in the end, you're actually taking away a valuable weapon. You're taking away a valuable weapon that can actually contribute positively to the movement. We got to stop looking at war as something that's not positive. Mm. Sometimes you need to have a time of war in order to get to a time of peace. Mm -hmm. And I think a, a, a lot of times we do ourselves a disservice by doing that, by suppressing that that real um that real revolutionary spirit and we sweep a lot of our warriors under the rug and we act as if it's easy to do what they did. It wasn't easy for Michael Johnson to do what he did. You talking about somebody who had years left in his life ahead of him. Mm -hmm. And yes, you know, people may say that, you know, what he did, they may think that what he did had no effect, but I think what he did had a direct effect on how we're viewed by white police officers. It's a fear there now that wasn't there before he did what he did. Yeah, you know, the, the fear that, that that had existed in the uh, late 1960s through the, um, through the mid- It resurrected 1970s, itself. it resurrected itself because, you know, there, there, there was a definite fear. There was a definite, very, very, very definite fear then uh, and we just seemed to just lose it. I mean, it just uh, just went away. Because I mean, I mean, there's a you know there are a lot of factors. I've been watching uh, the Godfather of Harlem. It's, it's really interesting story about the gangster, you know, Bumpy Johnson. And of course, it has Malcolm X in it and Adam Clayton Powell and Muhammad Ali, a lot uh, Elijah Muhammad, a lot of others. I, I, they write. Right now, it's up to um, right up to the march on Washington is where they are now, but but one of the things it shows is almost picking up really from the uh, the Godfather movie, the Vito Corleone, Michael Corleone, the how the Italians deliberately planned to bring drugs into the country, and not the Italians, not the Italian people. This organization, La Cosa Nostra otherwise known as the mafia, plan to bring drugs in and specifically distribute it or plant it in the black community. And so this mo this uh, program on epics is centered in Harlem. Like I say, right now they're in, they're in 1963. Bumpy had, had done 11 years on Alcatraz, mm. and um, he could have gotten out, but uh, he wouldn't snitch on the... Uh, the people in the five families that he was associated with, he wouldn't snitch on anybody. So that's why he had to do the whole 11 years. But now he's back and he's trying to take over. But what it's showing is what one of the things, see, I mean, everything, we have to use everything for an educational process and not just looking at it as entertainment. And what it's showing is how, how the, the, the first wave of drugs that hit us, the heroin wave, the impact that it had on the community, particularly in terms of young people, in terms of activism, in terms of consciousness, and then you, then you had the the second wave was crack, and 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 all of this was specifically targeted at primarily at younger people, who were the who were were the people that they most feared, because I mean all of these people you know these the, the Sada Shakurs and Maroon Schultz and Jaleel Mutaquim and Matula Shakur and. Uh, Sunniata Coley and Chip Fitzgerald, Geronimo, Pratt, Bunchy Carter, Fred Hampton, all these guys were in their 20s. Uh -huh. they, were, they were young people. They were, you know, Kwame Ture, Huey Newton, Angela Davis, these people were in their 20s. And they, they shook the political structure of this country to its core with fear. And so they say, how do we prevent the next generation generation for becoming like that, well, we need a whole lot of distractions. And so, I mean, so the drugs became one of those things, but 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 you're right. I mean, the the 
you know, they gave they gave us mm, their religion because they saw it as an as as a way they knew they had to do something to kind of to capture that spirit you're talking about. One of the things they did was uh, <laughs> through television, the Mod Squad. In other words, you can be a police, work for the system, and have all of the material advantages that uh, classify you as being successful in the capitalist system. Of course, I remember Dr. Teray talking about uh, in one of his interviews that uh, the police, you have to take into consideration the role of the oppressor, else you will come to incorrect conclusions. And thus, uh, you know, through the uh, infiltration of drugs, they create so much insecurity in the community that many of our politicians call back into the community the police who are the killers of people in the community. Yeah. You know, so it's it's, it's always a, a, a multi-pronged attack that in many instances we're not even conscious of uh, that's that's being waged at whatever level, consciously and subconsciously. Mm-hmm. I just look at, uh, to your point, uh, about the ancestor Denmark Vesey being 50 years old, man. That's just that that that's the ultimate sacrifice, man. Like you had a you had a time in your life where you can, like you feel like I'm 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 getting ready to hit the time in my life where I'm getting ready to, you know, watch my grandkids uh, get old. And you know, I'm I'm getting ready to fade off into the sunset. Yeah, because you know, what was the life expectancy of a black male right. in 1822? Right, well, brother. You 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 talked about a key element component, though the spirit. That's it. You know, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you got it, you got yeah, it. If yeah, you got it. You got it. Look, I'm and I, I'm from South Carolina, so I would say you know, my favorite South Carolinians or Africans from South Carolina would be. Uh, Denmark Vesey, John Jackson, and Chancellor Williams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, those would be my top three. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And I also, I also would uh, at, at at three and a half, I have to also throw brother uh, Listervel Minister. Oh yeah, Listervel. That's a bad brother. Yeah, Listervel was 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 tremendous. Uh, yeah. You know, we can't forget Robert Smalls who stole the um, what was the name of the ship he stole? Can't remember. It escapes me now. This 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 guy stole a, a a Confederate warship. He stole a warship, and uh, during the Civil War, <laughs> this black man, he had, he 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 had learned how to pilot ships. Wow! And um, he he developed a a sort of a uh, a Harriet Tubman type plot. Um. He knew that that uh, on like a Saturday late late Saturday night, a lot of the Confederate soldiers are drunk, not on duty, and so uh, the planter, I think, was the name of it. So uh, he got the, the guys that he knew that uh, that he could trust, who were were sailors. He got as many of his family members and their family members as possible, and they went down to the shipyard. They went down to the shipyard. Stole this ship, stole this Confederate warship, mm. and sailed it out of Charleston. <laughs> sailed it out of Charleston, north, and they 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 knew he he, he knew enough about the uh, the how the navy worked that he that he that he sent them signals because the uh, the, the United States Navy had a blockade around the Confederacy. So he knew that he was going to he was going to have to you know pass them in order to get to uh, the north, right? Because he got to sail from you know from South Carolina all the way uh, to at least D.C. right, uh, Baltimore. Mm-hmm. But he knew all the signals, so he st- they started sending the signals out saying you know hey look don't don't shoot at us. <laughs> <laughs> and man, when he got he. So, so then the the United States Navy provided him with an escort, wow. safe passage. So this this brother stole a warship, mm. <laughs> Robert Smalls. Well, brother, you know we go if we Google this information, we're gonna be limited. Are there sources that you can refer the listening audience to to study the life and times of Robert Small? 
I don't have any books on Robert Smalls. Uh, God Almighty! I don't. I don't. I, I mean, I'm sure there there are books written on him. I I don't have any. I just um, just in the course of studying our history, you know, I mm-hmm. came, I came across this story. But using their technology, I, I, yeah. I, well, he 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 learned how to pilot ships. See, because at, as a slave, that was part of his job. Okay, that was part of his job. Mm-hmm. So this is once again using every using everything to your advantage. And so then 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 he had his his people do the intelligence work. Okay, how are we gonna pull this off? When is the optimum time? When are these people drunk, you know, in whorehouses on a, late on a Saturday night? The ship is abandoned, has no guards around it. Mm. Boom. Get my family, your family. We're going to get on this ship. We're going to sail out into the Atlantic. We're going to send the signals to the United States Navy so they don't blow us out of the water. And we're going to sail, you know, into uh, Union territory. And, and and that's what it did. But, you know, a good uh, PBS.org is a good source of information for just uh, if you want, like, brief histories of, of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a they have a lot of histories on, you know, VZ, a lot of whole lot of folks uh, that uh, that that you can read about. And, you know, uh, the Prosser brothers, uh, brother almost were another group. Of 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 Africans who had uh, were deeply spiritual, mm-hmm. and they knew how to use various uh, verses and texts from the Bible to uh, inspire people to join their revolution, right? Which on the night of the revolution, oh my God, a tropical storm hit yes. the Richmond area. So. Uh, but you know, an amazing thing was that Gabriel Prosser almost got completely away because here we go with that that one rare person, a white man who was the captain of a ship that sailed uh, down the James River from Richmond down to the coast, recognized him and let him get on his ship. And he was going to take Prosser to the coast so he could get on another ship and get out the country. And one of the Negroes sailors working on the ship recognized Prosser. And when they got down to the Norfolk area, he ran and told the police. God. And that's how, that's how they caught Gabriel Prosser. The white man had helped him escape, and a Negro turned him in. God damn. Incredible. <laughs> and it's not even funny, man, but it's just like, uh, man, what do you do when you got these type of race traders, man? Uh, brother, they, they have to be eliminated. <laughs> that just that, that, that's been a, uh, a consistent question. Uh, brother did reference Vito Don Corleone earlier. You know, it's no question about... <laughs> What that organization would do to its its traitors, exactly. You know, Tessio, Tessio, give you, it, you, Tom, for old times' sake, give them the kiss of death. Sorry, Sal. It's, it's about it's business. I can't help you. Yeah, you know, like Doctor Ture tells, he reminds us, uh, used to remind us all the time. You know, uh, in a revolution, there is no sentiment, yeah. <laughs> no sentiment at all. You want to go to the uh, the CFA Frank thing because we we do need to hit some. Positive notes. Uh, you want to talk about that briefly? I don't know how much time we got left. Yeah, so th- there was a story that came out earlier in the week this week, and it was uh, the president of Benin, uh, President Patrice Talon, who did an interview. And uh, in this interview, he announced that the uh, foreign reserves of West African CFA currency used by eight countries in the, in the region were going to be withdrawn from France. So uh, many of you may be familiar with this because of the recent story of uh, the sister, uh, Chiambore, who was the former uh, African Union ambassador 
um, to the United States, she was fired. And a lot of her speeches for many years have dealt with this neo-colonial pact that a lot of these West African countries signed with the French um, after they, you know, gained their independence or quote-unquote independence. So France holds these African countries' money in a reserve bank, which is in France. Mm-hmm. And there's a cap on how much money you can take from the reserves per year. I think it's like 20% uh, of what you can take. And then the rest has to be borrowed. And it has to be borrowed at commercial rates. Which means that the French not only make money, but holding holding that, that all of this African money in these reserves, then they can, you know, l- lend it out at interest rates. And, you know, they can invest it and they can pretty much triple and quadruple that wealth. Mm-hmm. But then they also make money on the back end when Africans have to come back and borrow back their own money. This is, I mean, it's a ridiculous agreement that a lot of African countries originally agreed to mm. because of the fear that uh, the French were going to do to their countries uh, what they did to uh, Secretary mm-hmm. when the French uh, left um uh, Guinea. Yeah, when the French left Guinea, they Mm -hmm. pretty much burned everything up and they pretty much destroyed everything that they thought they contributed to the country during colonialism. Right. So that struck a lot of fear in all the other African countries. Mm -hmm. And they came to these agreements, whether it was to pay a tax every year on uh, on certain things or they agreed to sign this deal where France would hold this money, but it also has a lot of other... Um, ludicrous agreements inside of this deal. So the French also have uh, what's called the right to refuse um, any raw or natural resource that's found in the country. They have the first option to buy it. Right. So if they don't want it, then they can refuse it. And then, and then African countries can go and do business with other people. So, I mean, just the exploitation that's, that's taking place um, that's been taking place has enriched the French government for years. And now you have an African president that's talking about these countries uh, pulling out, which is uh, Benin, Togo, Burkina Faso, Mali, Senegal, Ivory Coast, Niger, and uh, Guinea-Bissau. Um, this is monumental if they're able to do it. We also have to ask, you know, what's the motivation behind this taking place uh, because we know that the French are not going to take this lightly. In order for a lot of these leaders to feel comfortable and, and confident that they can make this type of move, I personally feel that that this is a Chinese orchestrated move mm-hmm. um, because the Chinese are also being hurt by having to do business the way that this system is set up, mm. they they lose money every time they do business with an African country, and the, and the country's reserves are in France. So France is capitalizing while China is investing. Mm-hmm. So I can almost be eighty to ninety percent certain that um, you have the Chinese who are, who are telling these African leaders like, look, you need to you know, reconstruct this. Yeah, get use your own currency. Right, so so, so that the business between us will be better. Exactly. And they probably feel confident in doing that, thinking that, you know, maybe China, because they invested, is going to militarily have their back. Uh, but, 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 well, I mean, we know how all of that, is, you know, usually plays yeah. out. Yeah, I, 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 I do think this is something we really have to, given some of the, the countries that are in this, organization, particularly Cote d'Ivoire, uh, you really, I mean, we really need to look at it real, real close to make sure that there's not, it's not some scheme that the French have orchestrated themselves because uh, the, you have this, uh, the, the Francophone countries that, 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 that still use the CFA franc. The amazing thing is that 
uh, when when uh, Sacred Touré led Guinea to its independence in 1959, they decided they were going to use their own currency. Um, the country actually would have would have sunk economically had Nkrumah not loaned Sacred Touré. I forgot how many millions of dollars he loaned him to keep him afloat. But Guinea has never used the CFA franc even to this point, even though they've had Sacred Touré was re- replaced by some neo-colonial leaders who locked Kwame Ture up and uh, you know uh, a lot of people had to you know voice even Andrew Young had to got involved and said you know you need to release this brother but Guinea has always had their own Mali it was part of it they dropped out and had their own currency and then then went back to it so I think we do Given some of the people that some of the forces that are involved in this um, need to really watch it, watch it carefully. But on the surface, it appears to be positive because um, the larger organization over there, uh, ECOWAS, uh, you know, the Economic Organization of West African States, they are supposed to be developing a common currency that's going to be called the ECO. They're supposed to go into effect in 2020. So all all of all of the 14 countries in 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 West Africa are supposed to have uh, they they already have like a, a like a common market a common trade zone, but they're supposed to have their own currency. So how is that? How is this uh, move away uh, from France? See, they haven't said that they were going to actually do away with the CFA franc, have they? Um, not not that I've heard. Okay, and so this is something that we got to watch real, real close. But 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 what the uh, president of Benin said uh, on the surface, I think, is very positive. And I think we also got to give recognition to one of the biggest anti CFA activists. That's the, one of the most popular now, Kimmy Saber. Kimmy Saber, who has been doing a lot of groundwork. Yeah, burning, burning Franks. Yeah, getting locked <laughs> up and and kicked out of a lot of countries. Banned from countries. Yeah, yeah. You know. They won't even let him travel to certain countries. Yeah, yeah. And that it, that just shows the neo-colonial mindset when you have somebody that's telling you you need to be independent. You so afraid of your neo-colonial master that you willing to hurt your own people to protect these people who ruled over you for all these years. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the other thing is that, uh, you know, there, there are two CFA franc zones in Africa. You have the Western zone and then the Central zone, and they haven't said anything about doing this in, in those countries, the Central African Republic and uh, Gabon and uh, the Congo Republic and whatnot. But the interesting thing, I sent you a thing today. Um, while that's taking place, the president of the Congo, the new president of the Congo, who some people say is still just a puppet of Kabila, had a meeting with uh, Macron, uh-huh. the president of France, and he's he's saying they want they want France to be more involved in the Congo. Yeah, I mean, and and he's he's saying that it's militarily, you know, like they want the French military to be involved uh, within the Congo, but that's also a part of that neo-colonial pact, which w- one of the stipulations of that pact was that African countries must uh, ally with France, you know, militarily when it comes to uh, world confrontation. So these these leaders are in bed, these countries are deeply in bed with the French and they got them... The, the French have these African leaders by the ball so much, they are afraid to do a revolutionary act and cut all ties with the French currency, the French government, and even the French people. <laughs> that's what. Th- th- that's why when you look at um, Mugabe in, in Zimbabwe, you got to give him a lot of credit because he wasn't afraid to cut ties and, and say, look, we taking the land back. We we not waiting for these people to 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 give us any more trinkets mm-hmm. or, or minimal payments. We just gonna go and take back what's rightfully ours. Exactly. 
This has been the African Liberation Media Podcast. Again, you can listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you're on social media, check out our Facebook page, African Liberation Media, and also on Instagram, African Liberation Media. We're also on YouTube, African Liberation Media. And we're going to be doing our shows starting pretty soon. We're going to be doing our shows live so that you can call in and voice your opinion, let your voices be heard on African Liberation Media. BB48. BB48. Power or the lack of power? I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power? If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not job, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. Uh, buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power. Uh, if it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your